so many ways, and, uh, and today we give special thought and blessing to them. Um, I want to make a few announcements and prayer requests, then, and a lot of this has been scrolling on the slides there, but uh, next Sunday, uh, Deacon's Meeting at 5 o'clock in the Fellowship Hall, Tuesday Soup Kitchens will return. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, in June, on Tuesdays at noon, uh, we will be starting those back. So for those of you who are looking for fellowship and a meal, it's been truly a blessing through the years, those who can gather on Tuesdays for lunch. Uh, on June the 13th, for our youth, we are having a softball fundraiser, which will essentially be a fun afternoon, uh, an evening of playing softball and fellowshipping together. Um, all we ask is a small donation or a large donation even to our summer camp uh, trip. Uh, if you have any more questions or, or comments, details that you need, see Bryson or myself as we continue to plan the details of that. Graduate Recognition Sunday is on the 23rd. Uh, please let us know if you have a graduate in your family. We would like to recognize them and honor them. Uh, children's Camp at Rockridge is in June, and VBS also will be one day in June, that's the 26th. And don't forget Student Summer Camp, if you're looking for a way for your 6th to 12th grader to be involved in, uh, in our youth program, or in knowing Christ more, being part of our uh, fellowship there, uh, see Bryson, and uh, we can give you the details of that. I think that's all the specific extra or special announcements. Okay, prayer request. Please be in prayer for Curtis Mock. Curtis was diagnosed with COVID and uh, is currently in the hospital at Piedmont in Atlanta. Curtis is a co-worker of Kyle's. I also grew up with Curtis. A great guy. So let's pray for Curtis Mock as he uh, continues. Kyle uh, got some information this morning that was helpful that Curtis is doing a little better. So he's headed in the right direction uh, in, in his battle against COVID. Uh, Ms. Joyce mentioned the family of uh, Jimmy Patrick, has two sisters, Polly and Judy Patrick, who are surviving. Let's pray for that family and their loss. Um, and then let's continue to pray for Deborah and Billy Combs. Deborah, I think, is going to have a heart cath this week. So any other prayer requests or announcements? Mary. Okay. Yes. Oh my. Okay. Wileen Underwood, that's Melissa, Scott's wife's mother. Thank you, Mary. Any other requests we need to make note of? Yes. Absolutely. Thank you, Benji, for that update. Don't forget to pray for Miss Beverly Wiggins. Anything else? Let's stand for prayer. My brother, Jimmy Horn. Jimmy, you back there? Would you lead us in prayer, please?
Good morning. We're going to begin worship this morning with singing Heaven Came Down.
and remember all of the mothers in our life. When I woke up this morning, um, I had a strange thought that I haven't ever had before on Mother's Day. I thought about, you know, we know in our faith that God um, had one son, Christ. But we also know that Christ was fully human, yet fully God. And if Christ was fully human, that means that physically and literally, he would have never survived without a mother. He had to have a mother bring him into the world. He had to have a mother provide him the nourishment he needed. He had to have a mother take care of his needs. And I'm sure at times he had to have a mother, like all of us do, who sometimes just held him when he was upset or when he was burdened with the sin of the world. And also a mother who kind of, you know, we know he was perfect and he never sinned, but I'm sure that never came along without at some point Mary saying, Jesus, you know, given that look. And so to me it's so special how important mothers are because we wouldn't have a Savior if it wasn't for a mother. Um, and I think that's something so special and so dear. So this morning as our mothers leave, we have every mother a flower. And when we got the flowers, I got to thinking, and we have um, a flower that has three different names. Uh, when I ordered them, I ordered them as spider bombs because that's what they called them last week at a florist. And then somebody told me, no, those are moms. I was like, oh, well, that's perfect, mom, mom, okay. And then when I picked them up, he said that they were fuchsias. And I was like, okay, so we have a flower with three different names. And I thought once again, well, that's pretty perfect because I don't know a single mom who goes by one name or has one job. Women wear several different hats, and mothers wear so many different hats. Um, but just like this flower, you know, they come in all varieties, and they come in all sorts of forms, but they bring beauty to all of our lives. So we want to honor and just cherish our mothers this morning with that small token of our appreciation. And I encourage you today to reach out to your mothers and tell them how much you love them, but also to take time to remember your mothers that you're missing. Um, I never, you know, when we were growing up in church, you always saw all the things for mothers, and it never dawned on me until the past, I don't know, well, I guess it's been 10 years now, um, but it never dawned on me how painful Mother's Day can be as well as cheerful, because if you're like me, you don't have grandmothers, you know, by blood left in your life. You just have women you can cherish who have filled in their shoes since they have passed, and there's been several of those. And then you think of the women in the church who serve as mothers to everyone. And so with today, we um, approach it with a heart of gratitude and a heart of remembrance as well. Let's take some time to pray for our mothers. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, God, Lord, I thank you so much, Lord, um, for Mary, first and foremost, God. I thank you that you equipped her to give Jesus all the nourishment he needed. I thank you that you equipped her with the knowledge and the patience and the love she needed to show our Savior, God. And Lord, I thank you um, for the great, great burden she bared at Calvary, God. Lord, she lost her son, too, and she did that for us, God. So, Lord, I thank you for Jesus this morning, and I thank you that he was the first child to... Um, just truly show us how important mothers really are. God, I thank you for each and every woman in our church, God, who have raised up the children in this community in the way they should go, God. And Lord, I thank you um, that you just cherish mothers too, God. Lord, we sing, great is thy faithfulness. And if there's one word I feel like I've heard every mother say, it's been faithful, God. 
Lord, mothers entrust their children to you, and they know that you are always faithful, God. Whether that's in the process of becoming a mother, whether that's in the childbearing process, Lord, whether that's in oh sorry, whether that's in the process of, of trying to raise a teenager, God, or or adults like me, God, Lord, you've always been faithful to our mothers, and we thank you for that this morning, God. Lord, I just pray that today each mother feels cherished and honored, God. And Lord, I just ask you to give a special blessing to them, Lord, as we just um, show them our love and appreciation today, God. Lord, the, the world literally just wouldn't be possible without mothers, and that's why today is so special. Lord, we just pray that as we worship and honor you this morning, God, that we um, honor them as well, and that you just continue to have your way throughout our worship service, God. Lord, um, be with Abby as she sings and be with Neil as he brings the message following, God. Lord, just open our hearts to be receptive to your word this morning. Lord, we love you and praise you and thank you so much. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. When the wounds go deeper than 
Amen. Both the words that Catherine shared and the song that Abby just shared connect so well with what we're going to see today in Luke's gospel. Thank you so much, Abby. Uh, Luke chapter 7. If you have your Bibles, turn to verse 11. We'll read through verse 17. I have good news. I have good news for mothers. I have good news for all of us. And that is what Abby just saying. If it matters to you, it matters to the Master. And we're going to learn that it matters. It matters to Christ who we are, uh, what we go through, what we are becoming. I want us to see today God's great help for His people. God's great help for His people. A lot of what Catherine shared, um, we're going to come to as well. Let's think about the overall theological importance of motherhood in the Bible from beginning to end. Uh, that also is an important part of the gospel. So Luke chapter 7 verse 11. Now remember last week a centurion servant was sick. Not dead yet but almost dead. He sent for Jesus. Jesus came. And Jesus healed him. So this week we shift to another scenario. And it goes something like this. It came about soon afterwards that Jesus went to a city called Nain. And his disciples were going along with him accompanied by a large multitude. Now as he approached the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow. And a sizable crowd from the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he felt compassion. Some of the versions there say his heart was moved. He felt compassion for her, and he said to her, Do not weep. He came up, and he touched the coffin, and the bearers came to a halt. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up, and he began to speak, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Fear gripped them all, and they began glorifying God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. Some of the versions there say God has cared for his people, or God has come to help his people. And this report, this good news... About him went out all over Judea and in all the surrounding district. May we pray. Father, we are so grateful for just our time to worship and gather and sing to you and pray to you and hear from you in your word. It's so encouraging already to me uh, what has been said and heard. Now as we come to your word, continue to encourage us and strengthen us to have faith in you, 
to trust you, to obey you, to, to know you in a deeper way as our Heavenly Father, to see the great love you have for us, and then to share uh, that love you have for us with others through the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, both in, in words and, and in deeds. Thank you today that we have yet another passage of how amazing your help is to all of your children. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, God was looking out for me this week. <laughs> uh, and what I mean by that is, you know, when you plan to preach verse by verse through a book or through a section, you know, one of the thoughts is, well, what do you do on the special days like Mother's Day? <laughs> Look what God did for me. Man, right there in the scene, right there in the scenario, we have one of the most powerful helps to mothers that, that you'll find in Scripture. And we'll get to that in just a second. But years ago, I heard Dr. Charles Stanley preach a sermon on Mother's Day. And the message was, God's help for mothers. And uh, I was a long way from motherhood or fatherhood at that particular time in my life. Uh, but I thought it was very interesting, and he preached the whole sermon about the Holy Spirit, the, the helper. And his point was that God, moms, dads, people, God has provided a helper for you. As you go about your daily tasks, your responsibilities, your gifts, your calls, God has provided a helper. Well, I had that in the back of my mind for some reason as I studied this particular passage, and and I see in this particular passage that the people basically say God has come down in Christ and he's helped his people. So I don't know what kind of help you need today, mom or dad or pastor, child, student, human being. All of us are in great need of help. And what this passage reminds us is that God has come down to be and is our helper. God the Father helps, God the Son helps, and God the Holy Spirit helps. So what I want us to do first, though, is think about how this particular miracle in 11 through 17 contrasts the miracle that we saw last week. And I found this very interesting because as I studied, I was thinking to myself, this is a different scenario than the one before, but there is a common thread. If you were here last week, you noticed that last week we were dealing with a man, okay? And I'm talking about a man's man, a centurion. And he had heard of Jesus. This week we're dealing with a woman. And Jesus is a stranger to her. She hasn't heard anything about Christ that we know of. We could only speculate that maybe she had, but it doesn't say. And she was not a centurion who had a lot of things going for him. We talked about that. She is a widow. So not only is she a mother, she's also a widow. Last week, uh, the centurion, most likely a Gentile. This week, the woman, who's one of the central characters, is most likely Jewish. And we know that based on the funeral procession. Last week, the need was sickness near death. This week, he's already dead. Last week, we were dealing with a centurion's servant. 
This week is next level. We're dealing with a, a son, a child. And you and I all know that there's a big difference between a servant and a son, is there not? Last week we had a request ascending for Jesus. In fact, there were waves of requests. This week there's no request at all. She doesn't ask for anything. Last week there was great faith. This week there is no mention of anyone's faith in anybody that Jesus is helping in this particular crowd. Last week, Jesus performed this miracle at a distance. This week, he performs this particular miracle up close and personal. In fact, he touches, right? Last week, he just spoke the word. This week, he reaches out and he, and he touches. Last week, we didn't get any recorded response, though we assumed that everybody was happy. This week, we do get a recorded response of awe and worship and confession. Last week's miracle took place in a home. Where does this week's miracle take place? Out in the street. Well, Pastor Neil, why are you talking about all these contrasts? Here's one of my points. You cannot put God in a box. I don't know what your particular scenario is this, this week, but, but God is helper and sovereign over that. Last week seemed to emphasize man's responsibility to believe this week's miracle seems to emphasize God's authority and God's sovereignty to work a miracle no matter what we do. He doesn't need to ask for my permission. He doesn't need to see my faith. He doesn't see my, need to see my good character, my merit, my worth. All of us got here because God chose to speak this universe into existence and perform a miracle of grace Without our involvement, without seeking our consultation, asking our permission, Jesus just shows up to this funeral procession leaving the city and works a great miracle. Man, last week, amazing faith. This week, amazing grace. I think it's, it's very interesting how Luke, Luke puts these two miracles back to back to show us that what we have here is is sheer grace. And from the human side of things, in this particular scenario, the, the stakes seem to be higher. Yeah, I don't know that you can classify miracles, but this seems to be a, a next-level miracle here. <laughs> Raising a widow's son from the dead. God does not need our permission. He does not need our requests. He does not even need, though he requires and commands our faith. He's sovereign and he is God alone. He has absolute authority. He has the authority and the power to just show up, interrupt, and completely alter circumstances. I'm thinking Saul on the road to Damascus, right? I'm thinking Job and all the waves of difficulty that came in his life. And I think of creation from the very beginning, him speaking the universe into existence. Just think, God did not check with you first before the key aspects of your life were already determined. So there are two processions. There's one going into the city, if you listen to the text, and then there's one coming out of the city. 
Now the common thread in both of these processions and in both of these miracles is that Christ is the central character. So what do we see about God and the help that he gives in Christ? I do want to make a comment as we go, and it's about the need of the moment in this particular scene. And I'll just go ahead and say that to me, there are very few things in life that are more heartbreaking than seeing a mother or a dad lose a child. I've been involved in several of those types of scenarios and funerals, and it is, it is gut-wrenching and heart-wrenching to see parents bearing children. Recently, I was with the Stringfellow family in both a funeral and a wedding. And some of you know that we mentioned several weeks ago about the passing of young Austin Stringfellow, who's the same age as my son Eli, and so as I began to process that and think about losing my own particular son, it's, it's very difficult even to talk about or to think about. And one thing that Mrs. Stringfellow said at the wedding, which followed the funeral a couple of weeks later, was that in dealing with your children, she says, be sure and make lots of videos, not just, not just pictures, but videos so that you can remember how they talked and their personality and their movements and their actions. And you would think that we're doing a lot of that now that we have access to phones. But, but I, was, I was listening to this mom and, and just uh, so amazed at how she could speak at the wedding. But still she's got the funeral. You know, so, so here's my point. Motherhood involves a gamut of emotions, does it not? I mean, you get joy and you get pain. You get the thrill of victory at times with motherhood and parenting. And then you get the, 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 the devastating, uh, what is it, the agony of defeat, so to speak. Someone once compared parenting to, to golf. <laughs> you know, and I've said this before, it's expensive, it's time-consuming, and it has lots of hazards. Here's a particular mom, and G. G. Campbell Morgan said this about this scene. Listen to this, y'all. All the tragedy of life is in that procession coming out of the city. All the tragedy of life is right there in that procession. Somber, sad, and sorrowful. The central figure is dead, and the mother is walking in desolation. So into this sad scene, God helps. So what I want us to think about this morning are the ways in which we see God helping in this particular heartbreaking scenario where Jesus and this large crowd is coming in and this widowed mom with her funeral procession and her son, her young son there, his, his dead body is there, they're coming out. The first thing I notice is that God helps us with intimate awareness. Intimate awareness. Now what I want us to see is that it says in verse 11, well no, verse 13. What's the first thing you notice in verse 13? Well they call Jesus the Lord, which is interesting because... Very few places in the gospel is he called the Lord this early in the story. But the Lord saw her. 
He saw her. Now that may seem a simple or oversimplistic point to make, but, but here's one of the things that I noticed is that Jesus has absolute intimate awareness about everything that we're going through, and he saw her. He noticed her. He wasn't just passing by, but he, he looked and he saw this mother and, and he felt and, and, he, and, and he was moved by the grief and by the situation that she happened to be in. One of the things that we do, and there are scenarios like this involved, is we don't look. We look away. Man, Jesus saw her. He noticed her. He took note of her. Sometimes my rule of thumb is don't make eye contact, you know. Or maybe if there's a loss, hey, if they call me, I'll be there. But if they don't call me, I'm fine not being involved, right? You've been there. But I want us to see how God helps us with this intimate awareness of, of our particular situations and, and, and all that we're going through. It just so happened that their paths cross. I obviously see the providence and sovereignty of God here. Uh, he noticed her. He made eye contact with her. What I want us to see and remember is that God is fully and deeply aware of everything that we go through. Psalm 139 says he is intimately acquainted with all of our ways. So this mom could ask... Does God even care? Does God even know? And here he sees. There are other passages in the Bible that question God's awareness and his knowledge of what we're going through. Isaiah chapter 40. Why do you say, O Israel, that our way is hidden from the Lord? Why do you say that he doesn't notice you or see you or is aware of you? He is intimately acquainted with everything that you go through. Yes, mom. Yes, dad. Yes, people. God looks down and he sees every aspect of our lives. Now, that can be both very encouraging and it's also very convicting. That he is fully aware and fully notices completely everything going on inside of me and around me. Now, an interesting passage is Isaiah chapter 49. I want to read it to you. Because here on Mother's Day in particular, we may think that, well, can anyone care for me like mom? I want to read a passage in Isaiah 49, 14, and 15 that, well, and 16, that talks about God's awareness and his notice of our lives. See, I've seen moms at baseball games, just as an example. Asa has a teammate, his name is Riley Kane. And let's just say that Riley Kane's mom loves him. <laughs> she lives in Missouri. They're playing in Alabama. She made most all the games in person with camera, paying attention, rooting for her son, fighting for her son. On one particular day, she heard some people in the crowd calling her son the thief of the Montevallo team. And she, what, thief? <laughs> You want, you want some of me? <laughs> you know, that's a mom, right? I mean, in her posts on social media, so Tracy and I jokingly said at one particular point during the season, you, will, you know what we want out of life? We want somebody to love us the way Riley Kane's mama loves him. <laughs> now back to Isaiah 49, 14. You think God's aware? God uses the illustration of a mother's awareness. 
Zion said, God's children were saying, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord's forgotten me. Maybe that's how the widow at Nain felt coming out of that gate. A young son who's died, we don't know the details, but maybe that's how she felt, I don't know. But then verse 15 says, can a woman forget her nursing child? Can a mom forget her nursing child? Absolutely not, we would say. Can she have no compassion on the child, the son of her womb? Then God says this emphatically. Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. Because I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls, your life, your boundaries. They are continually before me. So God's people throughout history have said to themselves, God, I think you're unaware. I think you don't know what we're going through down here. God is saying to us throughout Scripture from beginning to end, I've got a lot of material here. Hebrews 4.13, there is no creature hidden from his sight. All things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Human beings operate oftentimes out of sight, out of mind. We're very limited. God is unlimited in this particular aspect. He's omniscient. So when I see Luke saying the Lord saw her, the Lord saw her, the sovereign God of the universe noticed her and her particular situation, and I'm encouraged by that. I'm encouraged by that. Pastor doesn't always know. Your friends don't always know. But God always sees. God always sees. The second point I want to make is that God helps us with his tender compassion. Not only does God see, but God feels. God is an emotional God. And this, this particular passage says he saw her and then he what? He felt compassion for her. It's one thing to see. It's another thing to feel. This is the God we serve. This is the God who loves us. His heart went out to her. Here he has gracious emotions rather than cold-hearted disinterest. In fact, the only reason that you and I have hope for salvation and the only reason we have hope in our future is the fact that God has set his love on us. Ephesians 2 says, but God, but God, we were dead. We were dead in sins and transgressions. Deader than this young man on the stretcher coming out of the gate. We were dead. But God, listen, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, he made us alive. The Bible from beginning to end hinges our salvation on God being a compassionate, merciful God. He is tender. He's compassionate. And because he is intimately aware, he moves and he acts. Look at what he says to this mother, to this mom. Do not cry. Don't cry. You know, I want to add a tone to that that's very empathetic uh, and full of compassion. Don't cry. This reminds us that God wipes away all of our tears. Well, how can he say, Mom, don't cry? Well, what he's about to do. Uh, he's, he's pretty much offering a, a prophecy here. Don't, don't cry. I'm about to do something amazing for you. 
What I want us to see here is the tenderness and the compassion of Christ our Savior in dealing with those who grieve, in dealing with sinners. It was said about Jesus, a bruised reed he will not break off. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Meaning the hurting, the broken, the bruised, the sinful. He doesn't break them off and finish it off. A smoldering wick, he doesn't snuff it out, but he comes in to encourage with his tender compassions, with his tender mercies. I think we just sang this, morning by morning what? New mercies I see. We could go on and on. Psalm 103 is full of such good words and thoughts about his compassion. And then that compassion and the gentleness and tenderness he has with us fills our lives and transforms us to be compassionate and tender toward others. But I'm not going to talk about that. I'm going to talk mainly about the kindness of God that leads us to life and to repentance. Oh, what a tender, compassionate friend. He met the needs of my heart. This mother at Nain could have joined in and sung that with us this morning with all of her heart, soul, mind, and strength. Benji mentioned uh, Beverly Wiggins. And we've been praying for Beverly Wiggins. I'm going to share quickly something that happened to me related to Miss Beverly uh, a couple of weeks ago. I was checking into Tanner. You have to check in now on the Dixie Street side if you want to go in and visit because of all the COVID regulations. So... They take your, check your temperature, uh, you request a visit, they give you a mask if you don't have one. They've got this long list. They've got two ladies managing this. And so as you check in there on Dixie Street, they pull up a list. And if you've you know, passed the test, and if the person doesn't have visitors already, they let you through. So I'm checking in at that little nurse's table, and I give them the name. I says, I'm here to see Miss Beverly Wiggins. She said, okay, let me check your temperature. She saw that I had a mask on, though it was pulled down just a little bit so that I could communicate. And she held the list kind of where I could see it. And she went down there and she said, Beverly Wiggins. And beside Beverly Wiggins' name on that particular little list was written in a, a pen about like this, pretty, pretty big ink, uh, the word compassion. And I said to myself and then out loud to her, I see you got compassion written beside Miss Beverly's name. She said, oh yeah, Miss Beverly, she's a special person. And she said, she's going through a very difficult time. And you're really supposed to only have one visitor per day? She said, but Miss Beverly, she needs compassion. <laughs> and so I'm going to let you through. She had literally written out the word compassion beside Miss Beverly Wiggins' name. And I thought to myself, especially as I study this text, God beside every single one of us has written in his word compassion. You know why? Because you're needy. You're sinful. All of us need his compassion. Then I thought to myself, you know what we ought to do? We ought to write compassion beside the name of every person we interact with on a daily, on a daily basis. Because the compassion and the gentleness and the tenderness that we need is the compassion and gentleness and tenderness that we are called to give. But sometimes we're like the world. We want to use force and manipulation. And if you've ever done that, 
Remember screwing the bolts into the threads that are pre, pre-drilled? If, if you try to use too much force, you'll mess those threads up. So it's good in some situations to do what? To start with your hand and to be gentle. Then you can turn up the pressure. What's interesting about Jesus is he knew exactly how to treat every person. And it went something like this. Law to the proud and grace to the humble. Christ. Law to the proud and grace to the humble. I've got to move on. Hey, he is here to help you. With tender compassion. Not only that, not only does he see and feel, but he, he's powerful. He's, he's omnipotent. So we, we've got he's omniscient, he's compassionate, he's also omnipotent. He touches this coffin. Now it's interesting that he would touch this coffin because ritually speaking, if you touched a coffin, you became unclean. But it's, it's the same deal with, with touching lepers. If you touched a leper, you became, quote-unquote, ritually unclean. But Jesus doesn't become unclean. He doesn't become polluted. He's absolutely pure, and he transforms what he touches. He transforms what he speaks to. So he, he speaks with a touch and a word, and, and, he's, and what does he say uh, to the young man? After telling the mom, do not weep, young man, I say to you, rise. And he sits up, and he begins to speak. Who is this that commands the winds and the sea? Who is this that raises the dead with just a touch and just a word? It is it's the Lord. It's the Lord of the universe. Speaking life where there is no life. Raising the dead. You and I are limited. We're vulnerable. We don't have this capacity, but God does. We can see and we can feel, but we can't act the way he acts. But we can point people to the Christ who does raise the dead. Who does give new life. Who does transform hearts and lives. And changes the, the, the situations and circumstances and how everything ends. So our logic and our reason should go like this. If, if Christ can raise the dead... With just a touch and a word, he can, he can give life to you and me. We can become new creations in Christ. If Christ can raise the dead, he truly can work all things together for good to those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose. You and I know we need his forgiveness. We need his transformation. We need the promise of the new heaven and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. But we can't achieve that on our own because we're sinful. And we're dead in our sins and transgressions. I was talking to young Ian Johnson. That's the Wayne's grandson. It's uh, Heather. Uh, I'm drawing a blank on his, his dad's name. Heather Johnson's son, little Ian. He's only five years old. We were talking about the gospel. We are talking about Jesus. We are talking about what it means to be a sinner. We were talking about why we sin. And I, I don't know why I asked him this. This is a pretty hard question. I said, Ian, why do we sin? Would you like to have to answer that question? Why do we sin? And without missing a beat, Ian said, We sin because we're impure. We're impure. I was like, whoa. That's exactly right. We have this pollution, this fallenness. That's why we sin. We sin because we're sinners. But here comes the sinless Savior 
who has power over sin, death, hell, and the grave. He doesn't have the impurity we has we have, and, and he just speaks, and and this son rises from the dead. He who raised himself from the dead can raise all from the death of sin. Therefore, let no one despair. Let no one despair. Mom, don't despair. Dad, don't despair. I know it's overwhelming at times. Don't despair over what God can do in you, over what God can do in others, over what God has already done, proving what he can do. Last of all, God helps us with his sovereign purpose. There's more here, and it relates to the larger story of the Bible that Catherine referenced in dealing with or speaking to motherhood. Look at verse 15. What did Jesus do? Jesus gave him back to his mother. He gave him back. What she had lost, she gained back through Christ. If you look at what we've lost... In creation and the fall, we lost a lot when Eve and Adam, Adam neglecting his responsibility, Eve making a horrible decision, being deceived by the enemy. The first mother, so to speak, blew it. But God made a promise through motherhood that through her seed, one would come who would crush the head of Satan. And win back everything that had been lost. And you see hints and traces of this throughout the Old Testament. And how God deals with mothers. You see it in Abraham and Sarah. God speaking life where there was no life in her womb. We saw it in Ruth recently in our Bible study. Where Naomi and Ruth. In their loss of both a husband and and sons, God did for Ruth and Naomi what he's done for this particular woman in the story of Nain. And how does Luke's gospel begins? It begins with motherhood. And Mary says in particular about herself and her people that God has visited us and helped us and brought salvation. Through whom? Through Christ through this mom. And what God is doing for us in Jesus is restoring everything that we've lost. So fast forward to Revelation 21 and 22. And you see that through the child, through Christ, the seed of the woman, the head of Satan is truly finally crushed. And everything that we've lost, everything that we've lost is regained, is supersized, is superseded, all because God kept his promise through the vessel, so to speak, of motherhood. He restores everything that's lost. And that's why in Revelation 12 you see that Satan hates mothers. He waged war against Israel because she was going to be the one who gave birth to the child, the dragon. That's why there's still a cosmic war against moms and motherhood and what takes place through and you know through and in the womb. It's it's a cosmic battle and it's throughout scripture. 
But what I see is the fulfillment in this moment of God's ultimate sovereign purpose to bring back to us what we have lost in Christ. Hey, God knows what it's like to have wayward children. (laughs) Read the Old Testament. And in this particular scene, God knows what it's like to lose a child. This child was the mother's only begotten son. Some of the versions say that. So Jesus is foreshadowing and anticipating his own death, burial, and resurrection. Where from the cross, what does he do? He looks down and he says to John, John, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. Knowing that separation was going to take place, he went ahead and prepared in advance, through love, a beloved disciple to continue to love Mary through that process of the cross. God has come and God helps his people. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for your word. Thank you for what you say to us through your word. Thank you that Christ is our helper. He is our savior. And through him we have the help we need for forgiveness. Through the shed blood of the only begotten Son, we are, we are counted as righteous. In Christ, we have the help we need for transformation and encouragement. For He lives within us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And through Christ, we have help for our future. And that through what He's already achieved and won, we have the promise of a day and a time in which there will be no more crying, no more tears, no more death, no more pain. All of that Jesus has in his heart and in his sight as he raises this widow's son from the dead. May we see how he helps her in knowing that in the same way he provides the help we need. To him be all glory and honor and praise. Amen. Let's stand and sing. That God would draw us near to him through our time together.
y'all have a blessed day. Again, to all you mothers, you have an extra special blessed day. Oh, we have Sunday school at 10 o'clock. So, well, actually, it's 10.15, so you're not late. I was about to say you're already late due to the length of the sermon, but uh, that's not true. Um, no services this evening, so go spend time with your family. Any word before we close? Catherine, would you close this morning? We're going to close this morning singing Family of God. I'm so glad I'm part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Join heirs with Jesus as we travel this side. For I'm part of the family, the family of God. Mothers, y'all make sure you grab you a flower on the way out. Mm-hmm.